Good morning, Doxa Church. Today's scripture reading will be coming from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. You can follow along with the screen behind me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power and work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Doxa. This thing on? Yeah? Good. How's everybody doing? Good? It's okay if you're not, but that's good. Um, welcome. If you are new here, welcome. I know it's been said, but it's so exciting to see new faces. Uh, I've been asked to come up here to introduce somebody who's very special to me. Um, uh, Dylan Thompson is my best friend, and uh, he has uh, agreed uh, to come and preach this morning. Um, Justin Kramer was going to be preaching this morning, and, and in light of uh, unexpected sickness and illness in the family, um, he asked to step down this morning. And so I just want to also ask, as we're welcoming Dylan, to just have the Kramers in mind, um, this service, but also this week, just to be covering them in prayer. Um, as the body, as, as uh, Dale said, we are a family, and so I just pray and ask that we would surround the Kramers as brothers and sisters and lift them up to our Lord. But uh, further ado, I want to introduce Dylan Thompson to come in. Uh, let's Dylan Thompson is coming. There we go. Thank you. Well, thank you for introducing me because uh, if you didn't do that, you probably would have looked at me and mistaken me for Kramer. I know that we look identical. So thank you for clearing that up, Tyson. That, that was great of you. A um, couple things before I kind of dive in this morning. Um, if you would, just pray for me as I open up God's Word and try to faithfully um, exegete it and just let the Spirit lead me in what I feel like the Lord wants us to hear this morning. Um, because Randy called me last night at like 7 o'clock and said, hey, can you come do this? And I said, sure. And he said, just preach something you've preached before. And I said, no. So this will be great. So I'm excited if I'm a little scatterbrained and I feel kind of all over the place, forgive me. Uh, I have severe ADHD for which I should probably be medicated, but I don't want to lose my sparkle, right? That's not something I want to do. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about me before we kind of get started this morning, because I have heard a lot about you guys just as a family and a body. Um, Randy is somebody that I consider a friend and a mentor. Tyson and Grace are two of my best friends in the world. I'm familiar with a couple of you guys, Truett. I'm familiar with you. We've met before. I know a couple of you, but not many of you. So let me just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm currently uh, the young adults pastor at The Rock in Conway. Um, I have a beautiful wife who's sitting right over here who I love with all my heart. And we have a little girl on the way who's due in December, um, our first baby. So we're very, very thankful and excited for just 
God's grace in our lives and, and we're thankful for that. But um, those are a few of the things that I love. I love ministry. I love my wife. I, I love my daughter that is yet to come, but I also love the local church. Like I, I really do. I, I feel like today in, in this current cultural context and climate, uh, the church gets a bad rep, right? Like I think if we can look around, the, the modern American church gets a really bad reputation, sometimes deservedly, but often I think unprovoked. But I truly believe that if we examine the context of Scripture, what we find is that the church, the local body of Christ, is God's plan A for restorative kingdom gospel-centric ministry. Like, I truly believe that through the Holy Spirit and dwelt in us, lived out in the context of a local body, that the church becomes the hope of the world. But I can say that and also acknowledge that here in, in this place in the United States of America, like we've got a little bit of work to do, right? Every single one of us individually has work to do in growing in the work of sanctification and becoming more like Christ. And that certainly does not exclude our churches. But here, here's the difference. I'm not gonna stand up here and deconstruct the theology of the church. No, I think, in fact, we don't need to just come and critique the church. What we need is to encourage the local body. If, if you look at scripture, we find more encouragement than we find rebuke, right? We find rebuke, but we find encouragement. So that's what I want to do this morning is open up the text and just breathe in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit through, through Paul's words, right? So we're going to look at Ephesians um, chapter 3 towards the very end, starting in verse 14. This is kind of a, a prayer that Paul is praying over the church in Ephesus. Now, the context here, context, Paul has been writing to them about um, God's mysterious plan for reconciliation, right? That all things have been revealed now through Christ and now all individual factions, all different races, all different ethnic groups, all different religious, socioeconomic, political, whatever you want to fit, you fill in the blank there. We've all been united as what Paul describes as one man in Christ, so we talked about the glory of this being revealed all through chapters one and two. And then when we begin, we see that he's going to pray a couple things over the church. Now, we understand that the letters in scripture aren't written directly to us, right? Like it's, it's a letter to the church at Ephesus, but we also believe and we affirm that all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and encouraging. So while it's not written directly to us, it is certainly for us. And I believe today in this current cultural context, this prayer of encouragement is for us, arguably now more than ever. And so I want us to lean into this. So let's just begin reading in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. The, the reason being the revelation of God's mysterious will and God's mysterious work in the lives of those who would be indwelled by the Spirit of God to be united under Christ as one man, all right? That's the reason, that's the backdrop. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit. So the very first thing that we see Paul begin to pray over the church and begin to, to pray, in, in, he gets on his knees before the Father and begs a few certain things. The first one of these is inner strength, right? Now, if we look at the world around us, I truly believe that this is a prayer we need to echo in our local bodies. We need to pray 
for inner strength. But, but let's talk about what that looks like because we, we would all affirm and all agree that we want the church to be strong, that we as individuals want to be strong. But Paul's prayer of strength does not look like what the world says strength is. This is kind of the reality of the upside down kingdom of God is where the world will affirm certain things. The spirit of God affirms things in, a, in an almost countercultural mindset and countercultural way. So he says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. Now, I don't know if y'all are Enneagram people, any Enneagram people here? I'm a hardcore Enneagram eight, all right? So some of y'all just immediately shut down if you know what I'm talking about and you're like, this dude's gonna be a jerk. I promise I'm not, I promise you that that's not my goal. What this does mean though is that I'm like terribly afraid of portraying weakness to people. Like, I, I don't like vulnerability. I do not like opening up to people. I do not like letting people inside of what's really going on in my heart, in my mind, and the things that I'm struggling with and wrestling with. That is something that I have to fight. So what I do, part of my personality, is that I put on this kind of reflection of strength to the outside world. I carry myself confidently, like I've got it all together. And what most people don't realize is that deep inside, at times, I am crumbling. Paul's prayer of strength for us as believers and collectively as the church is not that we would, we would kind of project this image of external strength, of external power, and look like we've got it all together, but that we would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. The kind of strength that the church needs to exhibit if we are to be the hope of the world, if we are to stare down the throat of death and decay, and sin, and hell, and the grave is not some sort of walking around like chauvinistic, macho, tough, look at me, look how tough I am, look how strong I am, I never struggle. No, we need to be strengthened in our inner being. We need an inner strength. We don't need to kind of portray what we desire to be, but what Paul prays over the church is that we would be strengthened internally with power through his spirit. The secret to strength and power in the local church is the spirit of God and nothing else. The church is most powerful when it is most reliant on the spirit, most willing to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. The church is the strongest when it's willing to admit that it is the weakest. And that we are winked, but it is in our weakness that he is glorified. And it is his strength that becomes our strength and encourages us to face tomorrow. We can face tomorrow because he lives, not because we've got it all together. So that's kind of the first thing that Paul prays for is this renewal of inner strength through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And then in verse 17, he continues, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I want, to, I want to pause here for a second because we understand, right, that if the Spirit of God resides within us, that he has been indwelt within us. But then Paul says here that I pray that Christ would dwell within you. Well, that sounds a little redundant, right? But here's what I think Paul is getting at. I don't believe that this is some sort of uh, ask Jesus into your heart theology or philosophy. Actually, this Greek word here for dwell is katoikeo, uh, and it really more literally translate to uh, make an inhabitant or to settle in somewhere. So when he says, I pray that Christ may dwell within you, he's not 
praying for them just to invite Jesus into their heart, but he is using this language of Christ needs to make his home within you. He needs to inhabit you. He needs to settle in, right? So let me give you, let me give you an example. Um, have you ever had a friend that their, their home is your home and your home is their home? Anybody have, those are, those are blessings from the Lord, right? Tyson and Grace are those friends to me and my wife. I actually have a key to their house on my keys right now. Um, Tyson and Grace come over all the time. They know that when they come to our home, that they have free reign, free access to go in the fridge, go do whatever. Tyson can come over and I can give him clothes because he sweats ridiculously when we go outside and play Frisbee. And he, he's got full access to the shower and closets and all that stuff, right? Like, Hopefully, hopefully they know that because of an intimacy that we've developed through friendship, that they have full access and full reign in our home when they come, and it is their home. What we need, what we need, if the church truly is to be the hope of the world, is not a loose understanding of giving God the parts of us that we like, but what we need is an intimacy that is developed into inhabitation where Christ dwells within us and has full reign and full access. And that's painful. That requires vulnerability. That requires us to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. If the church truly is gonna be the hope of the world, then each of us individually, what we need is for Christ to make his dwelling inside us, to have access and full reign right? For our innermost being, our hearts, our very souls to be the place where he is at home, right? Like he's got access to the fridge. He's got access to the closet, right? There's nothing off limits within us. And here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm discouraged by occasionally is I think what comes out of the church that people portray as negativity is often our own self-interest hiding and guarding things from the sanctifying work of Christ within us. We, we, we want Christ, right? We want Christ to come and do revival. We want to see the Spirit of God work among us, but we don't want him to touch this. Like we don't want to give him full reign and full rule over our lives. And here, when Paul was encouraging the church at Ephesus, this is his prayer, that we would be vulnerable, that we would invite Christ not just into our hearts, right? Not like a family member at Thanksgiving that you have an obligation to let them in and you're hoping that they leave at a certain time and it's not too awkward. Not, God, I hope they don't bring up politics, right? Like that's not the kind of relationship that Paul is asking of us. What he's asking of us and yet demanding of us and encouraging us in is that Christ is at home within us. He is the ruler of the household. That is what is required, right? If we are going to be the hope of the world. That only comes through the first thing that he prays, which is that we are strengthened in our inner being with the power of the Holy Spirit. Strength to admit that we need Christ to come in and chisel away the things that don't look like him. Not strength to portray and pretend like we've got it all together. Not strength that says that I don't need Jesus to take this. I'm not letting him take this, but the strength to admit I'm flawed. Like I'm messed up. I am weak. I'm sinful. Sometimes the strongest thing you can do is admit that you are weak. And Paul's encouragement is that through the strength of the Holy Spirit, that Christ would have full reign and full access to our very beings. And when that happens, we are sanctified over time 
Christ begins to chisel away the things that don't look like him. And we are made into a more representative image of the fullness of God. And he continues, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So as Paul is praying over the church in Ephesus, he prays the the, the prayer of strength. He prays the prayer of dwelling, of, of habitation, right? But then he says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to understand the love of God. And he gives kind of a caveat at the end that if we are able to fully comprehend the love of God, that the very fullness of God would fill us. I don't know about you, but if, I, if, if there was a way for me to fully comprehend the love of God, I would want that. I think as a church, we have to be willing to say we want the full understanding of the love of God. But to get there, Paul, Paul says that there are prerequisites to this. The first is that he says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, prerequisite, according to Paul, for understanding the love of God and experiencing the fullness of God in our lives is that we are firmly rooted and established in love. Love for what? Well, Jesus teaches that all of the law, all of the Torah, all of the commandments hinge on the command to love God and love your neighbor. That's the baseline, right? Some of us want to understand the love of God. We want to experience the fullness of God, but we're not firmly rooted and established in love. Listen, listen, you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. If you've got a problem, take it up with the text. But Paul's prayer of encouragement is that we are firmly rooted and established in love. That is the prerequisite, the prerequisite for experiencing the fullness of God, which look, if you look at the world outside, it is gonna take the fullness of God mobilized in his people to change anything. But if we want to get there, we have to begin with examining, am I fully rooted and established in the love of God and in the love of my neighbor? Who's our neighbor, right? I love when Jesus has asked this question um, when he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan because he doesn't answer the question. He then talks about being a good neighbor. We need to stop being so concerned with who we're called to love and start actually loving people. Stop worrying about who our neighbors are and begin being a neighbor where we can, right? We need to be the hands and feet of Christ and love people. We have to begin there. That is the prerequisite for understanding the love of God. The second is this in verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. According to Paul, according to Paul, there is no way to experience the fullness of God and the fullness of his love disconnected from the saints. You can't do it. This is what I mean when I I said earlier that the church is under a lot of criticism right now. There's a lot of deconstruction is kind of a hot word, right? That we're walking away from the church and expecting this is going to lead me to a fuller understanding of the love of God. It's not. It's just, it's not. Look at the text. Paul makes it crystal clear here. The way to experience the fullness and the love of God is connected with the saints. 
that the expression of the love of God through us is exercised when the people of God are mobilized. So those are the prerequisites before we can even get to understanding the fullness of the love of God is that we are firmly rooted in the love of God and the love of our neighbor and we are exercising it and walking it out in community with other regenerate believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the formula, right? So listen, listen, if someone is telling you that you can experience the fullness of God, that you can experience the love of God in a complete way on your own, they are lying to you. Paul makes it clear that if we want to comprehend the width, the height, the depth, and the length of God's love, that we're connected with the saints, right? So this is why I think what the church needs is not more just vague concepts of deconstruction and and platitudes and criticism, right? But we need encouragement. We need the strength that comes from the Spirit to admit that each one of us is deeply flawed and that we wrestle with our flesh daily. And we need the power of the Spirit, right, to convict us of sin so that Christ may have full reign within us to chisel away the things that do not look like him. And it is then, in that context, that we are able to be the called out ones that Christ called us to be. That is the context. That is the hope of the world. And I believe Paul's words that if we do these things right, that we may be able to comprehend God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, right? Paul demands of the church and encourages the church to try to get a handle on an incomprehensible love. How do we, how do we, how do we get our minds around a love that we cannot fully comprehend? That's what Paul, it's almost an impossible task, but that's what Paul is calling us to do, right? That we would understand the love that surpasses knowledge. Listen, sometimes loving the people around us and loving God does not look like the practical wisdom the world wants you to display. Where the world tells you to cancel people that don't agree with you. Right, like toxic relationships, let's cancel those. Listen, like we were enemies of God and Christ died for us. We were the toxic relationship and he died for us. The practical wisdom of the day does not equate to the love of Christ. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here, is that sometimes love is going to look radically countercultural. Can you imagine a church that is mobilized in loving the people that hate it? In loving the people that want to spit on us? And not in a like, oh, God bless you, I'll pray for you. Not in that kind of way, but in a radical, like, I will get down and wash your feet kind of love. Remember, even Judas shared in the washing of the feet and the sharing of the cup with Christ. Though he knew he would betray him, he was willing to serve and willing to love him. This is what it means to be fully in in lockstep with a love that surpasses knowledge, is that we may say, I don't understand why I love you, but I know that I do. That, that is not something, y'all, that is commonplace today. I don't think I have to tell you that. Just get on Facebook after a service and you'll see it. But what would it look like, right, if the church, being strengthened by the Spirit, being shaped by the sanctifying work of Christ, would radically love people though we disagree, though they hate us, though they wish that this would not occur, what would it look like if we said, I will serve you and I will love you? 
truly believe, y'all, that this is God's redemptive plan for the world to occur through the body of Christ. And it is in this context, right, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. That we need to desire to be a people that are so overflowing with the love of image bearers of God that it is pouring out of us. It is oozing out of us like a cup overflowing. That it does not need to be contained in whatever meeting space we gather in on a Sunday morning, but this would be the place where we get together, right? We're strengthened together. We're encouraged together. We're sanctified together so that the fullness of God can go out into our communities, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. That's a big ask. Like this is, this is no small feat. That is why Paul continues to rely on the spirit of God and the indwelling of Christ within us to make it happen. But listen, here's the encouragement in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Listen, the prayer of encouragement that we're looking at today doesn't scratch the surface of what God is able to do in his people. It doesn't begin to touch what God wants to do, how he wants to restore this broken, fallen world. It does not even, it's not the tip of the iceberg in terms of bringing about the kingdom of God to our communities. He is able to do this and far more. So we're looking at this impossible task and saying, I don't know how to love those people. Right? I don't know how to love X, Y, Z group of people. I don't know how to be vulnerable with Christ and let him get rid of the things that don't look like him. Listen, he is able to do far more than that. The question is not God's ability to sanctify us. The question is not God's ability to help us love our neighbors. The question is, do we believe it? Because the power that works within us, according to the book of Ephesians, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. If the spirit of God can raise a dead man, it can certainly help you love your neighbor. It can certainly help us become sanctified to look more like him. Verse 21, to him be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever, amen. Paul's prayer of encouragement to the church ends with this, that if we could grasp this, if we could understand what it is like to be strengthened in our inner being by the spirit of God, to allow Christ's full reign and rule over our lives, to be firmly rooted and established in love and to try our best to comprehend in biblical community the fullness of God that Christ will be glorified in the church to all generations forever and ever, period. We should be encouraged by this. We should be encouraged by this, right? Like Paul is declaring Christ is gonna receive the glory. We know if we read the book, Christ receives the glory at the end of it. He is enthroned forever. My prayer is this this morning, that as the people of God, he would be glorified in the church. 
that he wouldn't be glorified by working in spite of us, but he would be glorified by working in us and through us. To all generations, right? That our children, their children, their children would see the redemptive work of Christ in our lives and in our communities and in the world and would give him glory and honor forever. Amen. That's my, that's my prayer, right? And I'm, I'm not a part of this body, but we are brothers and sisters this morning. Paul talks at the beginning about how we are all named, all families are named after God. That's because earlier in this book, he begins to talk about the household of God. Look, the reality is there is no separation among us. We are brothers and sisters named after the one who bought our salvation. So the prayer that I'm praying for you this morning is the same prayer I'm praying over my local body. It's the same prayer that I'm praying over me. Listen, y'all, I want, I want to see this world changed for the gospel of Christ. I want to see as Jesus prays, right, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm encouraged because he is able to do far more than we can think, than we can ask. Our prayers this morning of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives and in our local body will be, will be forgetful. We'll forget to pray for specific things. We will forget to bring things up, but he is able to do far more than we can even ask him to do. This is why I believe that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. There is no threat against the church today. Because on the cross, Christ said, it is finished. And he declares here through Paul that he will receive glory for all generations to come through the church. We do not need to be fearful. We need to be encouraged. So in spite of all the the deconstruction, right? In spite of all the arguments over politics and, and this theory and that theory, right? We don't need to look at the outside world and think that it even holds a candle to the glory of Christ. If we think that, that politics can snuff out the light of the gospel, we are deeply misunderstood and misguided. We need to be encouraged in the redemptive work of Jesus. And that, that's my hope That's my prayer this morning. And I want us to celebrate that, right? I don't want worship in a couple of minutes to be this somber time of reflection. I want it to be a celebration that Christ has bought our freedom from bondage and slavery. Now he is sending us out to bring about the kingdom of God here and now. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go into a time of communion. And I want us as we're we're taking communion to remember that, to thank him for that and to celebrate what he is able to do that is far greater than anything we could ask or imagine. And y'all in a world that desperately needs some shred of hope, that gives me hope. That regardless of who's in the White House or where we gather on a Sunday morning or what bills pass, right? Or what's going on in other countries in the Middle East, he is on the throne that he is ruling and reigning and he is able to do all of this and far more and he will build his church. Let's pray and then we'll go into a time of communion. Father, my, my prayer this morning 
Or is it whatever we've, we've walked in here with, whatever preconceived notions we've brought into this place about your body, about your people, Lord, that they would be just laid bare at the foot of the cross this morning. That we would surrender our ideas of what the body looks like to you. Lord, that we would surrender our, our own portrayal of external strength, God, whatever that looks like. And we would be willing and strong enough through the Holy Spirit to say, I am weak. And in our weakness that you would be glorified. Father, I pray that we allow Christ into the deepest recesses of our hearts to begin the work of sanctification. That we are made to look more like you with every passing moment. That we as a people, as individuals, and then collectively would be formed more into the image of your son. that we would let go of the things that you are convicting us of and allow you to have full reign, full habitation, full access, and full rule over our lives. Father, I pray that we can, we can move towards and strive towards understanding your love. God, give us the love for your people that you have for them. Father, give us the love of you that it's going to require, that you are our first and only true love in this world. Father, give us the love of our neighbors, that we would seek to be a neighbor. We would seek to serve rather than to be served, that we would seek to tangibly love those around us. Father, we we give you glory this morning. We lean into the promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. We lean into the promise that you will receive glory to all generations forever and ever. We lean into the promise that as we pray all of these things over the body, over your people, over our lives, that you are able to do this and far more. Thank you for your goodness, for your fullness, for your mercy, for your love. Christ's name.